Well, good morning, Sedaris. Happy Mother's Day to all your mothers. I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. I also, also want to say shout out to grandmothers and great-grandmothers, uh, to my mom and my son's grandma and my great-grandma. Um, uh, hello and happy Mother's Day and what a special day to remember just how important uh, you are to the world and to each and every one of us. And, and so um, we say welcome we say happy Mother's Day, and uh, I do hope this finds everyone well. And um, yeah, these are strange times. I'm finding myself particularly over this, and it's okay to be over it. It's okay to feel like uh, you're not your best self. In fact, I'm uh, feeling like, because I have to uh, preach into a camera, I'm, fe- I'm feeling like Kayla from Bo Burnham's film, Eighth grade. If you haven't seen that film, go watch that film. Um, I'm feeling like a teenager trying um, to project my message to the world and hoping people like it and subscribe and all these things. And so um, it's a very strange time. I don't like it. I'm, I'm ready for this to be over. But uh, I am really excited about the series that we're in, and today's actually the fourth part of a four-part series. So this is the last part of our little mini-series on the Ascension. It's been one of my favorite topics to study, and, and to be honest, I hadn't spent as much time in it as I should. And so let me just recap a little bit where we've come from, and I really encourage you to go back and watch the Ascension talks, um, one, two, three, and then today is part four of, of these uh, talks. And um, the Ascension is a part of the story that's often missed. I mean, we celebrate Good Friday, which is celebrating what Jesus accomplished on the cross um, through uh, his sacrifice, taking upon himself the sin of the world and absorbing God's wrath due to sin. And we celebrate that on Good Friday. And then, th- and then on the third day, he rose again. And so we celebrate that on Easter Sunday. But usually then we stop there. But that's not where the story of Jesus ends. That's not where the historical events of his life end. After his resurrection, he spent 40-some days with his disciples, explaining to them all that he had accomplished, explaining how um, the Old Testament predicted that the Messiah must come and die, and how him accomplishing these things and being risen from the grave, how that all fits in together with God's plan. And then he... Uh, the scriptures tell us, took his disciples up to a mountain and he, uh, he ascended, is the word we use. He translated into the heavenly realm where the scriptures say he sits at the right hand of God. And we often don't uh, talk about that. Um, we don't talk about the implications of that. And so uh, we've done this little series and, and we've been talking about the four advantages, so to speak, of the ascension, the advantages of knowing about this part of the gospel story of the good news of all that Jesus did uh, on his time and earth and what he's still doing now as he sits and rules from the right hand of God. And we really think these, these four advantages of the ascension are essential to the gospel story. So we think the ascension is essential. And actually, when you include them in a proclamation of the good news, of the gospel message, you're actually magnifying Christ. And sometimes we forget about that. So let me just recap what these four are. Um, The first is that the ascension proves the full restoration of the Father's love with the Son. 
It proves that full reconciliation is possible because it happened between Jesus and the Father, even after Jesus absorbed and was stained by the sin of the world. And so we know that we too can have full restoration of of God's love for us. So that was week number one. Week number two, we talked about how the ascension proclaims the authority and the sovereign rule of Jesus as he sits and rules from God's throne. And we talked about all the implications of what that means, about how nothing is outside of his control and power, and how that's good news for us. And then last week, Pastor Ryan talked about how the ascension provides the missing ingredient for God to complete his work, his mission in the world, as he sends the Holy Spirit to empower his people to take his message of good news throughout the whole world. And... um, And so that brings us to today and part number four. So if you would, let's just pray and ask God to give us hearts of of wisdom and, and big ears to hear what he has to say. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for another chance, even though it's not ideal or perfect, but another chance to come together and worship you together by studying your word, by studying what you've told us that you've done through your son, Jesus. And so we ask now that you would send your spirit, um, that we would have big ears to hear all that you have for us this morning. We just pray that any distractions would be minimized, God, so that we could focus in on what you're saying to us this morning through your word. I do pray, as always, that anything that's not of you would go in one ear and out the other. But if it's from you, that it would stir and move in people's hearts, both today and in the weeks and months ahead as they think about the ascension of your son Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so now we're to part four, or the fourth advantage of the ascension. And the fourth advantage of the ascension is that the ascension presents, presents God to us once again. The ascension presents God to us once again. Because Jesus ascended to heaven, he was able to send the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is what the scriptures call them. The Spirit of Christ is what the, spirit, the scriptures call them. The Spirit of the Father, because God is one, not three. He's one God, and so the Spirit of God is sent to be with us once again. So that's the fourth advantage. John uh, sixteen seven says it this way. Um, this is Jesus speaking. He told this to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And the helper he's speaking of is the Holy Spirit. But if I go, talking about his ascension, I will send him to you. That's the personal presence of God that can be anywhere at any time. And Jesus says, I must go so that I'm no longer, so that God's presence is no longer fixed in one location, but can be everywhere at every time. That's what the ascension teaches, that Jesus had to go so that he could send the Spirit. Actually, let me read one more passage. Hebrews 4.14 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And so 
there's two things happening with the ascension. The first is that, that Jesus, when he ascends to heaven, into the heavenly realm, and sits at the right hand of the Father, which is to say is connected to the throne of the Father, he sends the Spirit down to those uh, who trust and believe in him. That's what the Bible teaches, that, that when we believe in Jesus, when we trust in him and surrender our life and say, I want you to be Lord of my life, that actually something very supernatural happens as the Spirit of God indwells us. So he sends the Spirit. But the other thing that happens is now Jesus, in the body, in the flesh, because he still has his resurrected body, he is in the throne room of God, and he is interceding on our behalf as our high priest. And he knows what it's like to be human. And so he intercedes with the Father on our behalf. So these two things are happening simultaneously, and we'll uh, unpack why that's so profound and important. Um, But before I do, um, this word present, we said the ascension presents God to us again. And so uh, we use this word in a a variety of ways. I just want to share some of the ways in which we use um, this word present. Um, Have you ever thought about how uh, multidimensional this word is? So if you're thinking of uh, present as an adjective, uh, it means to be within reach. So to be present with somebody means to be within reach of them within reach of them. I want you to see how all these definitions tie together. So if you're thinking about to present something as a verb, that means to place before. So if you present yourself to the king, you are placing yourself before the king. That's in the verb form. Um, You can also use present as a noun. So a present, okay, same word, is a gift. And you see how that's tied. A gift is something that you present before somebody. It makes it within their reach. So a a present is a gift. Present, as a noun, can also mean this point in time. So this present moment, which is time within reach, right? So if if you are being present in the moment, uh, then then you are within reach, that, that, that this moment is in, within reach to you. You are present to this moment or this experience. Um, another way that present can be used is, um, let's see, my notes are hard to read. <laughs> okay. Um, is if you talk about presence, presence. So the presence of something, also related to the same root word, uh, means the fact of being near. The fact of being near. So you see how all these are, uh, tied together. To present something is to bring it near. To be present is to be near to it. A gift is something that you present and draw it near to you. And presence is the, this idea all wrapped in one that something is near. The fact of being near. So you have somebody's presence, okay? So I just wanted to um, think a little bit about that because that's what we're saying, that because of the ascension, God's presence is presented to us. Another way you can say this, because of the ascension, God's presence in, in a way that it wasn't before the ascension is now gifted to us, brought before us, and set before us. And um, so it got me thinking about the philosophy of gift giving, you know, about the philosophy of gift giving. Um, it seems to me there are four types of gifts that you could get. So just think about uh, getting somebody you love a gift, Okay. The first type of gift you could get them is a gag gift, 
a funny gift. Like I remember one Christmas, uh, my cousin Doug always brings gag gifts to the gift exchange. And, and one time he brought uh, clippings of his own hair and he put them in a Ziploc bag and, that, and he wrapped it up and that was his gift. And it was a gag gift. But there's great value in the gag gift. What do you get from the gag gift? Uh, when you present somebody with the gag gift, you give them laughter and that instills in them a memory. Like I still remember <laughs> that when my Aunt Sharon got Doug's hair clippings, a memory. So that, that's, a, that's, a value. that's the value of, of a gag gift. You're giving them a laugh and you're giving them a memory. The second kind of gift you can give them is a, a practical gift. So a practical gift is um, giving something, somebody that they need, uh, something that they need. Not necessarily something that they want, but something that they need. So, uh, for instance, you could buy you know, a wife, a mother, on, on Mother's Day, could actually give a gift uh, of a lawnmower to her husband. And her husband, on Mother's Day, could not give that gift back because it's Mother's Day and mothers can do whatever they want. But that'd be a practical gift. Now, husbands, do not, on Mother's Day, give uh, your wife a lawnmower. That's like the worst idea, <laughs> Okay. But you see, a lawnmower is not necessarily somebody something wants, somebody wants, but it's something that they need, okay? So the value is you're filling a need for somebody. So that's the second kind of gift. The third kind of gift um, would be a what I call a luxury gift. So this is giving somebody something that they want, but not necessarily something that they need. And uh, for instance, this kind of gift, I remember one time I got an um, electric pepper mill to grind my own pepper. This was a luxury. You know, it's really not that hard to grind your pepper, but it was nice to have. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was something maybe that I didn't necessarily want, but some people would want that. It's been a very nice gift, but it's a luxury gift, and what you're giving uh, somebody is a fulfillment of a desire or something uh, that they want, but don't necessarily need. Now, the final kind of gift is the perfect gift. The perfect, have you ever gotten a perfect gift? Now, here, here's what I think a perfect gift is. And, and, you know, I try to give perfect gifts and I don't get it, get it right all the time. But a perfect gift is this. A perfect gift is something that the person needed, but they didn't know that they needed it until they opened it and realized that they needed it. So they didn't know they needed it, so they didn't ask for it, but you get it for them because you know what they need more than they do, and when they open it, they realize, actually, I needed this. At the same time, like a doubly perfect gift is they open it, they realize, I didn't even know I needed this, but now I realize I did need it, and at the same time, they open it, and they didn't even know they wanted it, and they realize, I've been wanting this. So the perfect gift is giving somebody something that they, they didn't even at the time necessarily know to ask for, but you give them something that they needed and they wanted, and only when they open it did they realize that they'd been missing it. So that's, for me, the perfect gift. Now, I think this is exactly what Christianity promises. It promises the perfect gift. Now, unlike many other world religions, Christianity is not a works-based belief system. It's not a works-based belief system. Christianity is a gift-based belief system. The entire 
thing is set up, not on works of doing the right things in order that God might bless you, but it's based upon the idea that God wants to bless you and does bless you and gives you gifts if you're willing to receive them. And those gifts, therefore, change your experience of life and reorient you again to your creator and your maker. So Christianity is a gift-based belief system, totally different than every other way of seeing the world. Now, we, we, we get this language, or we understand this best when we look at one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. So I'm going to just read it for you. It's John 3.16. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave, that's the Greek word didomai, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life but have eternal life. One of the most famous passages and really is the heart of Christianity. That God, the maker of all things, the ruler of all things, the one in control, out of an abundance of love for us, for some reason, who are we, but out of abundance of love for us, he chose to give us something. And this Greek word, didomai, is so important. And it's the word that means gift. It's the word that means to present to bring before. So I just want to look at a few other places in the Bible where this word is used. So I think these will be on your screen. Um, In Genesis 129, so Genesis is the very first book and the very first chapter of the Bible, it says this, and God said, behold, I have given, didomai, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. So God gives us creation out of love. Genesis 3, 6. Uh, This is actually a part of the fall of humanity where they turned from God. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the tree that God had given to them, and it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave, didomai, some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So here, we'll come back to this in a second. Here is the fall of humanity, where God had given them something, and then they take control of that thing, and they begin to give it in a way that God doesn't. They begin to gift in ways that God does not desire. In Matthew 7, uh, Jesus is talking here. He says, If then you who are evil know how to give, did am I, good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven give Didomai, good gifts to those who ask him. Matthew 14 says this, Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. This is Jesus when he feeds the 5,000. And taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up into heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave Didomai them to the disciples. And the disciples gave Didomai them to the crowds. So here you have an example of God giving something to his disciples who then properly give it away to others. You see how this is really a gift-driven belief system, learning how to give properly. And they all ate and were satisfied. And then, of course, we have John 3.16, that God gave what? Gave his son. Gave his son. Gave the second member of the triune God, the one God in three persons. He gave away that relationship to us. God came in the flesh His name was Jesus. He lived 2,000 years ago. He went and died a death that we should have died for our sin. God gave him 
as a sacrifice for us. And, um, and then he rose from the dead, and then God brought him back home through the ascension, and then God gave him again to us through the sending of the Spirit. So God gives us Jesus. It is our gift. It is our blessing. And this is the perfect gift. For most of us, until we open the gift that is Jesus, the gift of salvation from sin, the gift of new life, um, um, life after death, the gift of God's presence again, the gift of God being with us by the Spirit, until we open that gift, we don't actually realize just how much we needed it. Until we open it and we experience. Until we open it and we experience it, we didn't know how much we wanted it. We didn't know how much we had been missing God's presence with us. But when we open the gift of Jesus and receive salvation, then we realize just how truly uh, guilty we had been feeling. We, we, we knew that we were. And, and when we experience his presence, when he sends us the Spirit, we didn't, we didn't even know until we experienced it how much we were created for that, how much we needed that. So you say, like, I don't know. Did we, do we really need it? Were we really created for that? Do we really desire it? And um, if the Bible is true, the answer is yes. I, wa- I want to look back now to kind of show you uh, just what the Bible teaches us about what we were actually created to want and need, okay? So if you go to the very beginning of the Bible, to, to the book of Genesis, right, right here at the beginning of your Bible, um, what you're going to find in the very first two chapters, in chapters one and two, you have God creating, God creating all things, including man and woman who he created in his image. And it says he, he, he made a garden for them. It's known as the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't just man and woman, Adam and Eve, enjoying all that God had created, though they were. They were also enjoying God. It seems that God was walking with them in this garden until, as we just read, they decided to disobey God, to do things their own way, to take of the tree that God said, please, of all the trees you can eat, but not this one. So they chose to take authority and control of their own life, and it led to something terrible. So let's read that together. Um, something happened when they chose to do things their own way. Look at Genesis 3, 6 through 8. This will be on your screen as well. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, we just read this, and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. You see, they, they knew. Guilt entered. They'd never experienced guilt before, but now they felt guilty. They knew that something was wrong, that they'd sinned against God. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths to hide themselves. And then it says this, verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, like he always had, because he was with them. His presence was with them. They were in full, unfiltered relationship with him. But they heard him walking in the garden. And it says, the man and his wife hid themselves from what? From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You see? They were made for the presence of God. And as soon as sin entered, they hid from his presence. Now something was blocking humanity and God from experiencing presence together. This broke God's heart. 
broke Adam and Eve's heart. They knew something was wrong. And if you, you fast forward to the end of that chapter in Genesis 3.23, it says this. Therefore, the Lord God sent him, that's Adam and Eve, out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which, they, from which he was taken. God drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, that's angels, and a flaming sword that turned every, uh, that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And the tree of life being the presence of God. We talked about that on Easter. And so, again, here is the consequence of sin, that it changes the way humanity can experience the presence of God. The presence of God. And it's just heartbreaking. This is Adam's curse. Adam was kicked out of the garden. And this is the way it's been. God has interacted with his creation. He hasn't stayed far off. But every time he interacts, um, his full presence cannot be experienced. There's a great passage in Exodus chapter 33. Um, So uh, much time went by. And then God's people um, were born out of uh, Abraham's family. and, And then eventually they're taken into slavery in Egypt. And then God is going to rescue them. Uh, from captivity and pull them out. So he raises up a man named Moses, and Moses uh, rescues God's people from slavery, and he brings them across the Red Sea to the Mount to Mount Sinai, and he teaches them how to experience God's presence. And um, uh, he sets up a, a tabernacle, a tent, basically a fancy tent, it's like glamping, a fancy tent in which uh, the presence of God in a pillar of of smoke visits the tent of meeting, and Moses is able to talk to God, but not in his full presence, um, only in a veiled presence, um, in a symbolic way. And, um, and then there's this great passage where Moses says, I want to see your glory. Um, this is Exodus 33. I'll just read it to you. Moses said, please, God, show me your glory. And God said to him, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and you will proclaim and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And... I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. This is God speaking. You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So because of sin, man cannot see and be in the full presence, face to face with God, because of sin. It says it'll kill you, God says to Moses. And so um, what ends up happening is, is God says, go here, stand Go put yourself in the cleft of this rock and hide in this rock and I'll pass by you. And then once I've passed by you, I'll let you look at the uh, sort of uh, at the back of my head, so to speak. And so God passes by Moses and he gets to see this amazing uh, once in a lifetime um, experience of God's uh, presence. But it's not his full presence. And so this is the way it is throughout um, history for humanity. That human flesh literally cannot be in the full presence of God without, without dying, without being crushed by the glory and the brilliance of God. And so you have ways of um, explaining God's glory throughout the, or how God's glory and his presence comes to his people. It was in the tent in the wilderness while they wandered, and then they, they came to the promised land, and in Jerusalem they built the temple, and in the Holy of Holies behind a big veil is where uh, the fullest presence of God was, and, and, and a high priest could go in there once a year. Um, but it's very limited, the presence of God. And then Jesus comes on the scene. 
And, and, and he says, I'm God's son, God in the flesh. And he goes and he dies for the sin of the world. And he absorbs and is stained by our sin. And he dies and he pays the penalty. And then three days later, he's brought back to life. God saying, the sacrifice is accepted. But it doesn't end there. Then he is brought home, ascended to the right hand of the Father. And here's the brilliance of the ascension. For the first time since the Garden of Eden, what's happening? Because Jesus is in still full human body. It's resurrected body, it's redeemed humanity, but humanity is for the first time standing again in the full, unfiltered presence of God. God's presence no longer kills humanity. Are, are you picturing this? Are you understanding the magnitude of this reality, the magnitude of this news that Jesus in human body has, has, has gone to be in the full presence of the Father and it hasn't killed him? You see, that's, that's the advantage of teaching the ascension. It proves, it shows that for the first time since the garden, Adam's curse has been reversed. No longer is humanity kept out from God's space, from God's full presence. Jesus has, has shown us that, that humanity can once again be in the full presence of God. It's, it's so beautiful. I, I hope you're, you're hearing this. And, and actually, what I, what I call this moment, uh, the ascension, where, where Jesus in, in flesh, in body, stands before the Father and does not die, and then sends his spirit back to us, presents us with his spirit, gifts us the spirit, this is what I call the double blessing or the double gifting of Jesus, okay? The first gift is actually Jesus presenting, gifting humanity back to God. That's the first gifting. Jesus is actually bringing back what he's redeemed and he's bringing it to the Father and he's saying, I've redeemed humanity. You can be with them fully again, you see how beautiful that is? That's the first part. Flesh, humanity can be now reborn and redeemed and stand before God and not die. Something Moses could not do. Something none of God's people could do until the ascension. It's truly beautiful. Now, I want you to also, when you're thinking about this first part of the double gifting, I want you to personalize it. Maybe you close your eyes right now. I want you to realize not only did Jesus do this, present gift to the Father humanity again in, 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 in general, humankind, um, he also does it for you. That this will actually be reenacted one day when you either die or Jesus comes again and you stand before the throne. That Jesus will take you by your hand and he will present you back to the Father, back to God, he will present you and say, this is one of mine, whom I've saved, I've redeemed, and they are now clean and holy and they can stand before you. So not only does Jesus do that for humanity at the ascension, in the future he will do that for you and he will present you before the Father. And the glory of the Father will not consume you, but he will accept you. Jesus will gift you back. You. So, so profound. And so hard to imagine why Jesus would do that for us.
but he will gift us to the Father. Now, the second part of the double gifting is that God, or Jesus, now gifts to humanity God himself by giving us the Spirit. So Jesus gifts the Father humanity, and then Jesus gifts humanity the Father. That's the double blessing, and he sends the Spirit of God to be with us. So life now is lived with God. God is with us because the Spirit of God indwells us when we trust, believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's the double blessing. God is now with us. Nothing is separating us from God's presence. So it says he indwells us. We are now his new temple, the Bible teaches, each and every believer. And so the temple is scattered all throughout all the world. And so God's presence is all over the world because his people are all over the world and they are the new temples because nothing, sin has been dealt with, nothing separates us from God's presence. So the spirit is with us. It's un- unbelievable. So maybe this is how you think of it. Here's a, a little analogy. Imagine you buy a gift online. Buy a gift online, and um, you purchase the gift. You put in your credit card information, you hit submit, and you purchase the gift. The gift is bought. That's the gift that was bought for us on the cross. Jesus bought. He paid the price to give us the gift of God again. So it's been bought, but there's still more steps. Then there's the resurrection. So we hit submit, and we're not sure, like, You know, I think it went through. I think they took my credit card information. And then you get that confirmation email that says, hey, uh, your gift is on the truck. It's being sent out for delivery. So you're like, that's the resurrection. It's been proven. It's been accepted. The transaction is complete. Uh, Now I can know. I can have sureness that what happened on the cross, that the price was paid because the resurrection proves that it was accepted by the Father. The charges were accepted. So it's on the truck. But it's not yet to you, okay? That's where the ascension comes. Then the ascension happens, and this is like the gift being delivered. This is literally the guy ringing the doorbell and saying, the gift is here. It's been delivered. The sending of the Spirit has happened. Humanity has been brought back to the Father. The gift is now delivered. That's the ascension. That's how I see the ascension. So you need all three of these to preach the full gospel. Okay, so what does it mean? If this is true, if this has happened, let me just read you. If this is true, let me just read you a couple more passages. Then, then what does this mean for us now? Romans 8, 3 through 11 says this. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature caused by Adam. We've been kicked out of the presence of God. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied, fully paid, like we just talked about. You, um, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. 
The Spirit of God has, was, who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised you, Christ, uh, raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So this is the gift that's been given to you. You have the Spirit of Christ living in you. Nothing separates you from, from God anymore. His presence can be fully, uh, not only around you, but living in you. Amazing. Then Romans 8, 31 through 39 goes on to say this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since, we did not, since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us, whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Jesus is there, interceding on our behalf with the Father. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Can anything separate us from his presence? Great question. Does it mean that, we, that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death or there's the coronavirus? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we, will, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, he answers the question, no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the true promise. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can keep us now from the presence of God. When we trust in Jesus and he sends us the gift of the Spirit, the presence of God now indwells us and it will not leave. Nothing can separate us. That is such a beautiful truth. But you're right to ask. It doesn't always feel like God is present with me, that Christ is present with me. Why don't I always feel his presence if this is true, if Romans 8 is true, that he's living in me, that I cannot be separated from him, why does it feel at times that his presence is far from me? It's a great question. And we all experience it. In fact, you're in such good company. Remember that passage I told you about where God actually allowed Moses to see the back of his head as God walked by him, and then he was allowed to come out and see his glory? You say, well, why did God do that for him? You, you know, if you read the whole story, you could go read Exodus chapter 33. The whole story is that God tells Moses to go take his people to the promised land, and Moses is worried that God won't come with them, that they'll lose his presence if they move from Mount Sinai. And God promises Moses, he says, I will not, I'll come with you, begrudgingly, because y'all got some problems, but I'll come with you, I'll be present with you, and Moses doesn't believe him. Moses says, 
Please show me your glory so that I know that you're still with me. Now, here's a man who literally had tablets of stone written. Here's a man who saw a burning bush. Here's a man who God separated water so that he could walk through and brought 10 plagues on, on Pharaoh in Egypt. Here's a man who has experienced God's presence in a way that most of us never will. The power of God's presence, and yet he doesn't believe God is still with them. So he asks God. Show me that you're still with me. And that's where we get that passage of Moses hiding in the rock and God's presence coming by and Moses seeing his glory. And, 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 and it's, it's incredible. So what's the point? If you're not feeling God's presence, you need to ask him. Ask him to give you an experience of his presence. Just ask him. You also remember that verse I read at the beginning where it says, it says if, if evil parents give good gifts to their kids, how much more will God give good gifts? Well, right in that passage, this is what Jesus says. Keep on asking, Matthew 7. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. If you're not experiencing God's presence, ask. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking God. He wants to give it to you. You were created for his presence. And so if you're willing to ask, and you're willing to do what God says to experience his presence, he will give you the Spirit. Maybe you've never believed in Jesus. If you simply surrender, ask God to forgive your sins and believe that Jesus died, and you confess that he's been risen from the dead, and you believe that in your heart, and that's a, that's a faith that comes from God, actually, so you can ask God, give me the faith to believe that. And you surrender, you say, God, I want to give you my life. He will give you the Spirit if you ask him, and you will have his presence with you, living in you. And maybe you have been a Christian for a long time, but you don't have his presence. Ask him, and he wants to give it to you. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to know that he is near. Now, um, so that's the first thing, ask. (laughs) Even Moses had to ask. Ask for God uh, to help you experience his presence, because he's with you if you're trusting in Jesus. Um, The second thing is that gifts need to be unwrapped. Gifts need to be unwrapped. And so um, some of you might have an unwrapped gift sitting in your house. God has sent you the gift of the Spirit, and maybe you just haven't unwrapped it. Maybe it scares you what's inside. What if I let the Spirit of God enter my life uh, in fullness? So you need to open the gift, experience the power of God. Um, Opening the gift means looking for God in your life, looking for his presence, uh, and that takes silence. If, if you're so distracted, uh, Jesus says the spirit is kind of like the wind. Uh, you can't see it, uh, but you know it's there. But if you've got fans on in your house blowing air in all directions, you're not going to experience the wind of God. You need to silence the house, still the air, create space in your schedule so that you can just sit and listen and experience the presence of God. You maybe have heard people talk about the Spirit as that still, small voice. Well, if you've got earbuds in blasting music and podcasts and and, and TV shows and all the things that distract us, how are you going to hear and experience the presence of God? So you need to unwrap the gift by opening your eyes and opening your ears and opening your heart and giving space for God to remind you, I'm here. The gift is here. You just need to unwrap it. And then finally, if you're struggling to experience the presence of God, um, you, you need to do something. 
Uh, I know this from personal experience. Often, when I'm not experiencing the presence of God in the way that I've experienced it in the past, it's because I've got some unconfessed, unrepented, maybe, maybe even unrealized sin in my life. And so God says, I want you to do an audit. <laughs> I want you to start thinking, if you're not experiencing the presence of God as you once did, or as other people talk about it, do an audit of your life. Is there something that, that maybe you don't even realize is sin that actually is, is keeping you from God? So unconfessed sin, or sin that you have not turned from and repented and said, I'm going to stop doing that. Uh, maybe even sin that you don't think is sin. Whatever it is, like you need to do an audit of your life and ask God, show me if there's something keeping me from experiencing your presence. It doesn't mean that the Spirit has left. The Spirit hasn't left if you've truly accepted Christ. But you might not experience the joy and the comfort of his presence in your life if you have some sin um, that you have not brought to the Lord. Jesus has already died for it. But you need to still bring it to him so that he can remove it so that you can experience his presence. And that's one of the things, and we'll do it here just a sec with the Lord's Supper. It's one of the things we do every week is why we come to the Lord's table and experience and do what Jesus told us to do and break bread and say, this is my body broken for you and drink the cup, this is my blood. Because Jesus wants us to acknowledge that even though we're trusting in him, we're still going to continue to sin. And that sin is still going to separate us from experiencing uh, it doesn't separate us from God, but it separates our experience of God from what it might otherwise be. So um, we'll do that in just a second. I'm about to pray right now, and we're just going to give some space for you to just do an audit of your life and see, um, you know, in times like these, those sin habits creep back up. But in times like these, we need the presence of God. So maybe God in his grace will reveal to us something that's keeping us from experiencing his presence. This is the good news that Jesus died for our sin, rose from the dead to prove uh, that the Father accepted the payment, and then he ascended and is in the right hand of God, bringing humanity back to God and sending God back to humanity. This is the great advantage that we know by the ascension of Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in these hard times and ask for your grace. Would you just gift to us, present to us your son Jesus so that we know that the penalty has been paid, that the sacrifice is complete, that there is nothing keeping us from your presence. Nothing now can separate us from the love of God if we are in Christ Jesus. I just pray that my friends know that deeply and truly in their heart, God. And God, we just take a few moments. If we're struggling to experience your presence, would you just speak to us in this moment? Would you convict our heart of any sin that's maybe unrealized or unconfessed or unrepented of, God? Just bring that to mind and help us to know that if we hand that to you, it's already been taken care of on the cross. So I'm just gonna give us a few seconds to sit and let you, your spirit search our heart. God, we bring our sin to you. 
We ask that you remove it from us and remove the guilt or the shame that's maybe keeping us from experiencing your presence. God, give us big eyes. Give us big ears to see your presence in our life so that we might know you are with us. You are near to us. We are not far from you. God, we are so thankful for the gift that you've given us in your son, Jesus, that you so loved the world that you gave us your son and that through him we can have life everlasting and life in your presence now by the Spirit. Help us to know that as we sing these last few songs. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.